Good morning, church family. So, uh, Pastor Nathan asked me uh, if I would cover this passage, this uh, next where we're at in Ephesians right now, it has to do with parenting. And uh, when I read that, I said, sure, of course, I'd love the opportunity to uh, share God's word with, uh, with our church family, with God's people. And uh, I read it and thought, oh my gosh, how are we going to make a sermon out of this? It's so forthright and so, uh, seems to be so cut and dry. But as true with God's word, always, we take a passage like that and it, it seems to be so simple, and it is, uh, we can read it and we can apply it immediately, but if we are diligent to dig deeper in and to study further, there's always so much more. And God is so good that way, we can, we can find, um, find him in his word at, at the most elementary level as we just read something as simple as what we're going to read today, but yet we can dig so much deeper and find um, God's truth and, and God himself uh, revealed to us in his word. So uh, praise God for that. Let's open in prayer and we will be going to our study in Ephesians. Lord, thank you so much for an opportunity to, um, to gather together as your people today. Thank you too for the beautiful weather. Lord, for, um, for some clearer air, some uh, just blue skies, things that we have maybe taken for granted in the past, Lord, that uh, we have been reminded over this last month how how dear and precious and beautiful they are, how they show us um, your wonderful creation. They show us a little bit more of who you are. Lord, we thank you for your word. Your word is everlasting truth. May we see you here today, Lord. Find you here, Lord. Um, Holy Spirit, use um, these inspired words to change our hearts and to make us more like the Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. And it's in his name we ask this. Amen. So... Um, So we've been talking about the spirit-filled life um, this last couple of weeks. I know Nathan didn't necessarily preface it that way, but that's what we were looking at, the spirit-filled life um, in general, and then in the family unit, uh, husbands and wives, and then this week's uh, in the home, in the family. So uh, always a challenge when we, when we go verse by verse is that we, um, we can lose track of the, of the greater picture. So we're studying... Paul's letter to the, the church in, um, I don't want to say, to the church of Ephesians. And so he writes this letter that's meant to be read in about 10 or 12 minutes, honestly, 15 minutes at the most. We've been studying this for going on a year now. So, you know, it's easy sometimes to lose context of what we're doing. So just wanted to remind us where we're at. The first three chapters, we saw Paul telling us about who Christ is, what he's done, what he's doing, um, what he should be meaning to us. Then in chapter four, he turns it around and Paul um, starts to apply it. He starts to um, preach, he's preaching on unity first, unity in the church, us as a whole, how God expects us to live and how we can do that. He also tells us in chapter four that we are no longer, um, we, we no longer belong to this world. We now belong to God. We now belong to Christ. So we need to put off the worldly things, our worldly, worldly sinful ways, and we need to put on godly, righteous living. In um, chapter five, then, he, he tells us um, we should be living spirit-filled lives. I'm going to read that real quick. It's 518. He says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. We should be living spirit-filled lives as God's people. You know, that can end up being one of those kind of Christianese sayings. What does that mean, spirit-filled life? Well, Paul does a great job of, of giving us um, information. You know, we, we see it 
you know, in a general context, he's writing to them specifically and writing to a need that they had. But to the Colossian church, he writes almost the exact same letter, but he tailors it to them. Let me read from this almost exact same passage, excuse me, this exact same passage in Colossians or the same type of thing. He's writing the same letter in 3.16. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let me read the, the entirety of that, that passage in, um, in Ephesians 5. Or I'm sorry, uh, yeah, in Ephesians 5 where he says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you see they're almost, they're not only a parallel text, they're almost identical other than that one little nuance. In one he says, be filled with the Spirit. In the other he says, um, be living under the word of God. Be committed to, to knowing and understanding and living out the word of God. So I would say this. I'd like to give a definition for the Christianese term spirit-filled life by putting these two verses together and, and say the spirit-filled life is a life that is submitted to God through a rich understanding of his word and the following of it empowered and enabled by the Holy Spirit. Is that a fair definition? Well, good. Let's get back to our text for today then. Last week, um, Paul was instructing us as to what it would look like to live the Spirit-filled life, and he's applying that directly to the home. And uh, he starts it all with this, verse 21, submitting yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's kind of the, uh, that's the backbone of everything that he's getting ready to say, that we're submitting ourselves to one another out of love, reverence, respect for Christ, out of obedience as well. So um, we're going to now pick it up. Today's text is Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, if you'd like to join me there. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So this is, uh, this is, uh, you know, one of those passages in scripture that, you know, the the kind we look for, it's a beautiful, um, it's a beautiful look at two sides of the coin. Um, Children are to obey their parents and parents, you are to be the kind of parents that treat their children in a way that kids will want to obey. I would say that this even works in, in terms of for those of us maybe that are grandparents who have a, a heavy influence um, in our grandchildren's lives. So who exactly is Paul talking to when he says, children, obey your parents? Um, oftentimes, you know, we look at this and we see the word children, so we're thinking this. Well, actually, this word, um, the Greek word that's used here is oftentimes used for children of God. Paul elsewhere, when he says, my little children, but he's talking to the church. He's talking as a spiritual father to us, the church family. But in this instance, we're going to see that that it has its more common Greek use, and that would be children, um, not toddlers, not babies, but children who are in a place um, where they're, uh, it's before they're into their adult life, 
but they, um, they haven't begun their adult life yet, but they are not babies, they're not toddlers, they're not infants, etc. They are old enough to receive instruction and understand it. Okay, so um, the implication, you know, here, as I mentioned, is, uh, is children before they're adult. So who would that be today? That would be those of you who are still living in your parents' home, but have not yet entered into um, adult life. You might be eight or nine. You might be 19 or 20. But this, those are you that are still living at home and um, yet to really be entered into adult life. So um, we, we know that that's true also because we are, this is a letter to, the, to a Christian church. He does, Paul does, wouldn't say children, meaning us collectively. He would be talking specifically about that more common, you know, using it in the more common Greek term. So the first thing that Paul does here, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. The first thing Paul instructs is to obey. Nathan talked about this um, a few weeks ago because this is the exact same word that is also translated elsewhere as submit. So um, we've, we've looked at that much um, as Nathan taught us, <clears throat> excuse me, as Nathan taught us, um, the word submit is actually two Greek words compounded together. The two words mean under and listen to. With that listening to, implying that the listener is not only just hearing these words, but he's hearing them um, for the purpose of understanding them and then following through with them, with obeying them. So um, kind of reminds me of James 1 where, where James says, be not only hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. Be listening and doing. So Paul is, is telling young people this. Put yourself under your parents, listen to what they say, and do what they ask. And then he adds this. He says, do it, you know, he says, obey your parents in the Lord. He adds this caveat. It isn't just obey your parents, but he says, do it in the Lord. Cur a little bit curious in one sense because... Um, Apparently, we would say he's talking to children who are Christians, children who have a relationship with God. This is a letter to Christians. So he says, do it in the Lord. That has to do with our attitudes. It has to do with, um, with doing it because of, not because of, uh, with a begrudging heart or not doing it because I'm going to get in trouble if I don't or any of those reasons, but doing it because um, it's pleasing to God. When we do things in the Lord, we're doing them because the Lord wants us to. We're doing them for God's glory. We're doing them out of obedience, not to mom and dad. We're doing them out of obedience to our parents, to our father and mother. So um, Paul says, young people, put yourself under your parents and do this because you want to be doing it to please God. You're doing it with God's glory in mind. You're doing it because it not only pleases your parents, you're obeying because it pleases Christ. And then Colossians 3.20 uh, even, uh, even um, validates and extends this one out a little bit too. And it says, um, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. So, you know, as a parent, of course, I'm pleased when my children obey, but it says that God is pleased, that the Lord is pleased when you obey. So when you obey your parents with a right heart, you're doing it in the Lord. Um, young people, obey your parents as if you were obeying God, because you are. And then, um, then he goes on to say, um, what's the result of that? It is right. 
for it is right. Why is it right? How many um, as parents have endured this one when, parent, when uh, kids say, why, why, why? You know, it's, it's, it's hard when your four-year-old says um, why. It's usually um, a way of extending a situation. But when your 14-year-old says why, it's usually in defiance. Well, the truth is, is why? The right answer is this. We can answer our children this way. We can answer our grandchildren this way. Because it's right. Because when you obey, it honors God. When you obey, it pleases God. When you obey, it says here that God makes it, makes it righteous. God makes it righteous, you guys. That means that it's an act of worship. When you children, young people, obey your parents, you're doing it in the Lord and God makes it right, he's making it righteous and it becomes your, your spiritual act of worship. I hope that helps you, young people, in terms of, of thinking of how, uh, how you would respond to your parents. And, you know, um, all the parents didn't get together and pay me to say that. This is really what God's word says. So... Um, and then, so obedience is the action, but what's the attitude supposed to be in all of this? The attitude here would be um, verse two, honor your father and mother. So what's the attitude? How should children obey? With honor. And, and Tim, 1 Timothy 5 really kind of extends that out and tells us what does that honor look like? Um, because again, that's one of those terms, you know, we, we say it and we know what the word means, but really know, do we really know what it means? It means to respect to love and show affection. So honor your parents. So when your parents tell you something, how do you obey? You honor them in it, and you do that by responding with love, respect, and with, with affection even. And I know that that's a challenge. We can only do that with the Holy Spirit because our sinful selves do not desire to do things that way. Our sinful selves, uh, adults, uh, don't desire to do it that way often either, do they? We need to submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit. So with that, um, we want to do it with honor. And by the way, we are called to honor our father and mother even when they might not be honorable. And that's something for another sermon on another time. But um, I think that, that what's important too that we see this is that when we look at all of the family unit here, we saw husbands and wives for the last couple of weeks. We're looking at parents and children today. Spe specifically at this part, we're talking about the kids. Um, we'll talk about parents in a moment, but um, this is an obedient act of worship when we, when we obey with the right heart. Husbands loving their wives, or I'm sorry, yeah, husbands loving their wives, wives submitting to their husbands, children obeying their parents, these are all spiritual acts of worship. These are, this is worship to God. God tells us that he makes this kind of submission to one another righteous. He makes it right. So um, it's, I think that, you know, when we talk about why is the family unit so important to God, here's why. This is how God feels about the family unit. So um, talking back to talking about honoring our parents, it appears six times in the New Testament, mostly in the Gospels. It's almost always Jesus saying it. Um, it appears several times in the Old Testament as well. That's where it's actually being quoted from, the Ten Commandments. But it applies to us throughout all of our lives. So for those of us that are older and have living parents, maybe our parents even aren't around. 
How are we honoring them? Are we honoring them with what we say? Are we honoring them with how we feel? This is something that goes on, honor your father and mother goes on throughout our lives. And uh, that's a, another message for another day. It's not our focus today, but it does apply to adult children, not uh, so much the obedience part, but definitely the respect, love, and show affection part. So it goes on, um, here is a passage with a promise. Paul says, this is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Saying, you know, that it, it will go well with you, that you will enjoy your life. You will have an, a life that you enjoy and a long life. And that's not necessarily a guarantee that you'll live to be 100 plus, but rather that you're going to live a life that does not have to be cut short by divine discipline. All right, so now let's move to the, to the meat of the sermon. And that's um, this next part, this one simple verse that could, we could talk about for the next couple of weeks. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. So whose responsibility is this? Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Well, the word for fathers here that's, that's being translated, the Greek word that's being translated fathers can also be translated as parents. Uh, particularly like in Hebrews, we see the same word translated as parents. So um, it's kind of, it reminds me, this is common in so many languages outside of English. Um, many of us have had high school Spanish, so we know that, you know, there's um, uh, amigo and amiga, and you would be, you know, friend that's a guy, friend that's a girl. But if we were saying a group of friends, we would say amigos, because it's a mixed class. We would use the, we would use the masculine. Well, likewise here we see, you know, it's a masculine plural being used, but it can also be translated parents. It's found that way um, quite often in Greek literature. So, log but logically it wouldn't make sense for Paul to be saying, dads, don't provoke your children to anger, but moms, just go for it. Have a good time. You know, that, that obviously can't be. So we see that it has to be, you know, pluralistic and, um, and you know, non-gendered. It has to be, a, you know, to parents and, as a whole. Um, Proverbs 6.20 also, kind of the validation where we see this throughout Scripture. My son, observe the commandment of your father. Do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Clearly links parents. Um, we see Proverbs speaking to young people literally dozens of times where moms um, are most often included with fathers, moms and dads. So quite possibly, most likely, this applies both to dad and mom. But so wonderful about Scripture how so often it'll be talking about the present and the future. Um, God will be talking to us specifically today, but also talking to us about tomorrow. I think that this also is to you and to me, dads, because we're the ones that are mo most likely going to be provoking our kids to anger. Um, it's, it's highly, it's, it's much more likely. Also too, fathers bear a greater responsibility here um, in terms of, of uh, accountability for your family. Remember, um, even, you know, as it talks about husbands and wives and it talks about how men will stand before the Lord. So um, I wanted to just talk real quick about some possible causes for anger. And this is... Um, this is interesting because, you know, again, we want to apply these things. As uh, Mike Borsier said, you know, studying scripture is, is, is good and right. But if we're not applying it, we're really just being hearers. And we want to be hearers and doers. So here are some possible causes for exasperating and angering, discouraging our children. Inconsistent discipline. When we discipline out of uh, convenience or out of anger, it's inconsistent. Harsh 
unloving discipline. Discipline for reasons other than willful disobedience or defiance, like uh, we mistake childishness, uh, childishness for foolishness, and they are different. Um, we'll talk more in a moment. Maybe wrongly disciplining by withdrawing love and affection when scripture calls us to be nurturing. Expecting adult behavior from our young people who are still in the learning phase. Again, it's childish and foolish, foolishness. Childishness is when kids do dumb kid stuff. Foolishness from a biblical perspective is when they rebel, when they sin, when they disobey willingly. So there's a difference between um, when, when your kids do, you know, when your eight-year-old do, eight does something and you go, yeah, that was really dumb. You, you don't punish them, you correct them and you train them. When you tell your eight-year-old don't do something and they do something, now it's foolishness, it's sinful rebellion and it needs to be, um, it needs to be addressed. Another, another um, cause for anger, discouragement, exasperation would be um, comparing your kid with others. Maybe they're siblings, maybe friends, maybe other kids. Trying to, Really, you're trying to manipulate them. Um, and instead of treating them as the u- unique individual that God has made them, you're, you're, trying to, um, you're trying to manipulate behavior by comparison. That's exasperating. It is to us all um, at, at any walk of life. But yet as parents, we think somehow um, it might be a good idea. It is not. Failing to express approval, never letting your kids know that you approve of them. Failing to express love. Um, those are all kind of the, the ones that are the obvious ones. Here's a couple, though, that are a little more, um, a little more under the radar. Overprotecting. Overprotecting your kids. Not giving them the opportunity to grow and to learn while they're under your, um, your wisdom and guidance. Um, here's another one. Not disciplining them at all. And by the way, moms and dads, yelling is not discipline. Yelling is not discipline. Yelling is a sinful lack of self-control on your part, and you are teaching your kids something, but unfortunately, yelling teaches our kids something that they're a sin that they are going to have to overcome in their, in their life to come. So uh, I would just say this, yelling uh, is not discipline. So anyway, so now, praise God, he just doesn't leave us hanging there with don't do this, and then uh, moves on. He tells us what we should do as well. So first, he, this leads us to the three-part um, the do. We heard the don't. Now we're going to hear the do here. It says, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And just, you know, so we know, um, so society today, our culture today says children are born good, and then we mess them up. We mess them up because we're, you know, because we're no good. Uh, we'll talk, and I, I know that we're, we're moving into uh, you know, a section that will, will um, allow us to talk you know, more in depth about this. But the fact is, is our children are not good. Our babies are born with a sin nature. They are born separated from God. So they need to be taught to obey. And, and none of us over, uh, overcame this naturally. None of us ever would overcome this naturally. In Luke 2.52, we see four areas of growth and they're demonstrated by a young Jesus. Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God, favor with man. So there's four areas that we need to be training up our children in. First, wisdom, a mental capacity, you know, wisdom, um, stature, physical. We need to be growing them up physically. Um, Growing with favor, um, growing in favor with men, that's growing socially. And then favor with God. 
which is growing spiritually. So parents um, need to be giving children direction. They need to bring them up, um, discipline them. They need to instruct them. So uh, again, let me reread this and take a look. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. The don't, but the do, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Paul uses the same verb um, when he's talking uh, to husbands about wives for um, bring them up. And it's translated there as nourish and cherish. So um, how about that old school mindset of harsh, tough dads? dishing out some manly dad stuff. Um, that's not a biblical perspective. It says nourish and cherish, nourish and cherish, to um, bring them up, nourish and cherish them. So basically, parents, dads, care for your kids lovingly. Um, John Calvin, in his commentary, said this, and it just made me smile, but he said, about your children, let them be fondly cherished. Let them be fondly cherished. We need to nourish, cherish, lovingly instruct, direct, and guide um, these wonderful gifts that God has given us, our children. So how do we do this? Or why do we do this, maybe? In the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Um, hear the word discipline, and we think, in our culture, we think, and I've even used it this way, we think um, punishment when we hear the word um, discipline most often. But a biblical use, the actual meaning here in scripture is to train, instruct, teach, counsel, or warn. It's the same word um, that the writer in Hebrews uses in 12, five and six, where he says, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. And again, here, this is the writer talking like a spiritual father to adults, but he says, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. There's, there's the, the corporal punishment verbiage, reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. So he's not repeating himself. Here, there are two separate things. Discipline is training, instructing, teaching, counseling, warning. And it does oftentimes include um, correction as well, or a, a, cap, uh, a corporal, not capital, a corporal punishment. Um, a chastisement of some sort. So re reprove and chastise are more often biblical words used for correction. Discipline biblically is training and guiding. So maybe a better way for us to apply this today would to be to, to say, we need to be making disciples of our children. You hear disciples, it's the same root word as discipline in, our, in, our, in, in a Latin-based language. And we need to be intentionally training the children that God gave us in righteousness, in godliness. We need to be teaching them the gospel and how to understand it, instructing them how to live it out, not just to know stuff, but to apply it, to do it. Um, and we need to teach them how to apply it in everyday life, not just in a Sunday morning setting, in a Sunday school setting, in a youth group setting. We need to be firm in teaching our, our young people, um, parents, how to live out the Christian life in everyday situations. Counseling them with the Bible, not giving them tips, tricks, helpful hints, life hacks, but give them Christ-centered instruction. Christ-centered instruction. We need to be warning them of Satan's schemes, which include a love of the world, a love of this declining society of our, uh, our this, this declining society of ours, along with its immoral culture. Um, but it will definitely, as I mentioned, involve correction. So be sure that when we do get to that point, 
It's loving correction. Be sure that we are lovingly correcting rebelliousness as well as childishness, but in the appropriate biblical, gospel-centered, Christ-focused manner. So I want to be sure that we do these things this way. And, and I want to encourage you, as we, we talk about this, we need to be remembering that um, as parents, and even as grandparents who have, uh, are in a position where they're coming alongside of their, their kids, helping in the raising of their grandkids, for us as a church family who stand up every time there's a baby dedication and say, we'll be a part of helping you raise your kids in the Lord. Um, we need to remember this, and it's a... Uh, a wonderful quote by my wife. Um, she says this to every parenting class that we lead. And she says, we are not raising children. We're raising adults. So look past these few years that they're children and look to what kind of adult are we trying to raise here? We want to be sure that we're lovingly correcting, lovingly teaching, loving ad admonishing, that, we're, that we are um, raising up godly adults, Christ-centered parenting. So how do we do this? Um, Moses in Deuteronomy, several times over, says to teach the things of God as you come and go. What's the inference there, as you come and go? Is anybody not coming or going just about every moment they're, they're not asleep? Aren't we coming? So when is it that we should be training up, teaching our kids about the Lord? All the time. That's right. Thank you. All the time. That's all the time. But listen, it doesn't have to be like this, you know. All right, kids, dad's going to teach you about Jesus. Let's sit down and I'll get my pulpit. Um, no, that's not the point. You want to be fun. Have a good time with it. Talk about Jesus a lot, though. Talk about Jesus in the car, at home, at meals, when they're good times, when times are hard, when times are bad. I want to be talking about Jesus in all of these times. You want to talk about who Jesus is, what he's done, what he's doing now, what he's going to do in the future. Speak to the hearts of kids too. Don't train up little Pharisees. Don't be um, worried about outward behavior as much as you are about what's happening in the hearts of your young people. That's what God cares about. He cares about our hearts. He cares about the hearts of our young Speak to the, kids of your, uh, the hearts of your kids. Don't train up little Pharisees, little hypocrites. Focus less on outward behavior. Look to train their hearts. Talk about values. Talk about God-honoring Christian values. Talk about our beliefs. Talk about feelings, motives, sin, repentance, grace, and most of all, the cross. Make sure that it, you have a gospel-centered home. Talk about being new creatures in Christ. And maybe most important of all, Talk about doing all things for the glory of God, which is where we're going to wrap it up for today. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says this, whatever you do, do all things for the glory of God. And that's including your parenting, including your marriages. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we um, thank you, Lord, for giving us opportunities in life to be a part of, of the next generation. Lord, um, it's a... It's not a task. It's a wonderful opportunity, Lord. Help us to see our kids and those kids around us always that way. It's a wonderful opportunity to do something great for your kingdom. Lord, may we do it. Um, may we do it for your glory, not for the outcome, but do it, Lord, um, with hearts that want to please and honor you. And Lord, I pray that we would, um, well, that, that we would be changed by your word today, Lord, that we would not 
um, just hear these things, but we would go and be doers of the word. In your name we pray, amen.